This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. We are going to be in just a second, as I say, chatting about the LRT because first of all, let me say, I understand. I understand. I have, I absolutely understand that for many of you, the LRT has become the word, the letter, the acronym, whatever you want to call it, that just makes you blanch. I understand that. I get it. I'm not trying to torture you. And hopefully, if all goes well, and I don't know what your definition of well is, tomorrow is the day that this thing will, that something will happen, that there will be clarity offered And that we will have some idea what's going to happen. That the divisiveness, the fighting, all that kind of stuff. Well, I don't know if it's going to stop. I, I, I have a feeling it's probably not. But, but tomorrow we'll have some idea where this thing is going to go. Because there is, remember last week on last Wednesday, they had a 13-hour meeting with all kinds. What was it, 55, 60 delegates who came in and spoke and all had their, gave their opinion, gave their side, very passionate on both sides of the discussion. Well, they never could get around because it took so long that they decided that better than trying to debate this issue, and the issue, by the way, is whether to accept the environmental assessment, which on its face is not really the issue per se, but this, either pushing this forward or stalling this, It's not really about the environmental side. It's about whether or not we're moving this, pardon the pun, pardon the turn of phrase, the train down the tracks or stopping it, essentially. So they didn't want to do that after 13 hours of listening to delegates, but that is what's happening tomorrow. And it's a huge, huge day. And it will, I I really believe that... Having talked to a number of people, I talked today at work at The Spectator to Andrew Dreschel, who writes, as you know, I talked to Matthew Van Dongen, who is covering this, a City Hall writer, trying to get a real feel for how important, how significant tomorrow's meeting, tomorrow's debate really is going to be. And the sense is this is a big, big moment. This is One of the biggest, if not the biggest moment in the entire debate to this point, because if this environmental assessment gets turned away, the delays that result, even if they were going to, would possibly push this into the point where we are now into the provincial election time almost before a new one could be done or before something could be done. And we all know that there... Well, we don't know. Let me, let me rephrase. We don't really know what's going to happen after the election. What we expect is that the liberals, based on their polling numbers, although we saw with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and polls that they're not always accurate, but based on polling numbers, we would believe that the Kathleen Wynne liberals are in big, 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 big trouble. And so if they lose, if Kathleen Wynne and her liberal government loses and the LRT debate discussion program has been delayed and delayed and delayed. Do we have any idea what will happen when a new government comes into office if that happens? Because keep in mind, how many times in recent years have you seen at provincial level, at federal level, in Ontario, in other provinces, in Alberta with the NDP coming in, a government of whatever stripe, any stripe, A government comes into office. How many times have you seen this? They come into office. They're a new government. They've just won. They've made all kinds of promises. And then a few weeks, a couple months into their term, they come out with an announcement of, oh, well, now that we've seen the books, they're in much, much, much worse shape than we were led to believe. The previous government vastly understated how desperately bad things are for us in this country, this province, whatever else. And when that happens, what do you expect might happen? See, I've all along said, and and I've been laughed at a couple times, and maybe maybe I'm way out to lunch on this one, but I have said that it would not shock me one bit if the liberals were to lose the next election and if the shovels are not in the ground, essentially, with the LRT, 
that the Conservatives, if they win, or the NDP, if they win, will look at the books for the province of Ontario, and what will happen is that somebody will say, we, we, don't, we don't have a billion dollars. And not just in Hamilton. There's other projects all over the province. We can't afford this. We're way in, way in debt. Cancelled. We'll give you some money for, tra- I, you know, I don't know how it would work, but it would not at all shock me. It would not at all shock me if a new government came in and despite their assurances from the conservatives, and I don't know if the NDP has offered assurances or not yet, uh, to yet, but despite assurances that, no, this would go ahead, when they see the books, it would not shock me at all if this project was scuttled. Maybe that's, maybe that's a ridiculous position to have. I don't know. But I, I just, my cynicism, my skepticism is that this is, if this gets delayed, that's the risk that you run. Now, you may be wishing for that. That may be your position. You want this thing to be delayed so that it gets to a new government, so that it gets scuttled. I understand that too. I understand that position. I know that's out there. There are those who are arguing that these delays are designed for that purpose. I don't know if that's the case or not. I will leave it to the councillors who are opposing the LRT to answer whether or not that's really what they're doing. I won't answer for them. Some people, though, believe that their big plan, the big conspiracy theory, is that let's stall, 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 delay, 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 until a new government comes along, and then it will cancel it, so it will take the decision out of our hands. Get us off the hook for this. I, that's been suggested. Do you agree with that? Do you believe it? I don't know. We've been trying to get... Councillor Terry Whitehead, we were supposed to be chatting with him. We've been unable to reach him so far. We're going to go to a break in just a couple of minutes. But here, here, is, here is the part about this that I find really interesting about tomorrow. Kathleen Wynne was in Hamilton yesterday, or was it the day before? Today's Tuesday, so it was yesterday, about the guaranteed wage, the living wage announcement that they're going to be doing, the guaranteed income in three cities in this country. And again, it is the conspiracy theory behind the scenes, political shenanigans that people are, maybe shenanigans is the wrong word, but that people are talking about. Because there are some people, and I heard suggestions about this, there are some people who think while she was here, maybe there were some secret negotiations going on with this city. Because the reason I was going to have Councillor Whitehead on is I really believe that, and you know this, as one of the most vocal critics of the LRT, but as someone who, when Rick Zamperin was on the air last week, filling in for Scott Thompson, Councillor Whitehead proposed that if the LRT was to be once again back to its original plan, essentially, and extended to Eastgate, as opposed to ending at the Queenston traffic circle, he might be, he might be inclined to vote for that as opposed to having it just end in the middle of nowhere. And so the suggestion yesterday that I heard from a couple of people was, Maybe there's some secret negotiations going on to see if we can find a few hundred, a couple hundred million bucks that would give the LRT that extension. And this will be something that comes up in the meeting tomorrow. I, I, uh, that would be great. That would be great. I mean, if you're an LRT, even, even if you are a diehard LRT supporter as it is right now, you're not going to complain if the thing is extended further to its original plan, are you? So if you're a supporter, that would be a great thing. If you are a naysayer on the LRT, that complicates things dramatically because now you have presumably, seemingly, one of the leading naysayers, one of the leading critics on council of LRT saying, well, if you go back there, maybe I will go around the other way. Maybe I will vote yes. Well, now if you're, if you're negative to it, if you're against the LRT and you think that this is a horrible idea, now you might be a little worried about what's going to happen because one of the votes that you thought you had in your pocket could actually be on the move. It's all a very, very fascinating meeting that's going to be happening tomorrow. I'm sorry we couldn't get Councillor Whitehead today because I would have loved to hear from him. Let me read you one more thing. If you were listening If you were listening last Friday to the panel, 
We had Mike Fortune in here, and we had Scott Urquhart in here. We were talking Friday evening on the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. And Mike Fortune brought up a, a, a quote from a press conference that Kathleen Wynne had held a day or two after last Wednesday's marathon Hamilton Council meeting. And the questioner, and I have no idea who the questioner was, asked her or basically said, there seems to be some confusion on Hamilton City Council about what the billion dollars is for because all along we have heard, especially from those who are the diehard LRT advocates, that the billion dollars is for LRT or nothing. There is no middle ground. There's no other alternative. The only thing that that $1 billion is designated for is LRT, period, end of story. No other transit, no other plan, no plan B, no nothing else. And he said, could you please, Madam Premier, could you please clarify what that billion dollars is for? Let me read her exact quote, which I found very, very interesting, which of course then was immediately squashed and parsed and reinterpreted by other people. But here's exactly what Kathleen Wynne said when asked whether the billion dollars was only for LRT. So this is her quote. So the money that is on the table for Hamilton is for building transit. It's for building transit. There has been a discussion in Hamilton, as you well know, for years about bus rapid transit, light rail. Um, We want to build transit in Hamilton to improve the quality of life of people who live in Hamilton. I really hope that we can come to an agreement. I was very pleased, she continues, when there seemed to be a discussion, uh, sorry, a decision on building the LRT. You know, I think that's the right way to go and I hope we'll be able to move in that direction. But that money is for building transit in Hamilton. Let me go back and read that line because I think this is where it gets very weird. Talking about LRT, I think that's the right way to go, and I hope we'll be able to move in that direction. But that money is for building transit in Hamilton. So at that point, she could have said, yes, that billion dollars is for LRT. That's what we've agreed to. That's what we've said. That's what it's for. She doesn't say that. She says, but that money is for building transit in Hamilton, which is a far broader picture than LRT. She continues, and I'm almost done. It's for building transit in Hamilton. I think that's the fourth time she said that. And we're going to continue to work with council. I don't know what their resolution was last night. I don't know what their decision is, their discussion is right now. I had thought that they'd made a decision about the LRT, so it is disappointing to me there's a back and forth on this. I'll be honest, and I hope we can get it resolved very quickly. Why do I bring this up? Here's why. As I mentioned a moment ago, Kathleen Wynne and her Liberal Party are in deep, deep, deep trouble in the polls. If you have looked around in recent days, you will see that the provincial government is throwing around a lot of money already, trying to find ways to bolster its support and possibly buy some votes. Let's not be fooling ourselves. That's what's happening. I don't believe for a moment that Kathleen Wynne at this point, needing every seat she can possibly get and every vote she can possibly get, I don't think Kathleen Wynne is interested in announcing that she's taking a billion dollars off the table for Hamilton. She wants to give money to this city so she can point to something and say, look what we have done. And her refusal to absolutely, unequivocally, unequivocally, demonstratively say it's only for LRT, to me, suggests there may be some wiggle room here. Whether there's time for for wiggle room, I don't know. I don't know. But I would have expected that if the provincial government's position is as absolute and as concrete as the advocates of the LRT who have said for the last number of months that it's a billion dollars for LRT or nothing, if her position and the government's position was that strong, she had every opportunity here to say that, and she didn't. She had every single opportunity to make it clear that this is LRT money, period, end of story. She said it is for transit. Transit and LRT are not one and the same. 
They can be, but there's no, the definition is not equal. Transit is not necessarily LRT. LRT is transit. Transit isn't necessarily LRT. She had an opportunity to say without any kind of wavering, this was for LRT. She didn't. And she didn't do it four times in the course of that quote. In the course of that answer, four times, she said the billion dollars was for transit. And for a long time, through this whole LRT debate, which we, which tomorrow, something is in all likelihood, almost assuredly, something is going to happen tomorrow with a vote. But for a long time, there's been debate in this city about whether LRT was the best thing to do with that money. Everybody, I think, or almost everybody agrees that we need better public transit in this city. We're not arguing about the need for transit. The question was, is LRT the best answer to the transit problems we have, the public transit? And if Kathleen Wynne, if the Premier of Ontario, who is the one who has directed a billion dollars to this city, if she is now saying, which it sure sounds like she is, that it doesn't have to be LRT. It's just transit. Is it too late to have that discussion again? Because if it's not, that sounds like a discussion that we certainly, that should be nailed down before anybody locks us in, right? I mean, does anyone disagree with that? If the opportunity is there to do something different with the LRT that can have widespread community engagement and widespread community support and improve the transit for people all over this city, should that not be discussed? Should that not at least be nailed down so before we vote on this, we know what the answer is? Because it's going to suck, let's be honest. If we vote on the LRT and the LRT becomes the absolute thing, and we find out that, wait, there could have been something else we could have done here. Oh, no, we didn't mean you had to lock in on LRT. Some people would want that. I understand that. The absolutely, the absolute diehards want LRT at all costs. But for a lot of other people who would say, wait, might there be another option here? The problem is, are we too late? Is it too far along? Do we have to vote now? Do you understand how complicated this is right now? It is very, very, very complicated. Just going to go to break, but Chris has called in. Chris, how are you this evening? I'm doing awesome. You? I'm doing great. Thank you. Great, great. Uh, just to start at the beginning of your conversation, as far as the um, council going into discussions as far as the LRT goes and getting into arguments, this is like uh, playground stuff, right? You know, this is... Um, a situation where they're being led, maybe led by their nose at a billion dollars. Um, Meekin is telling them it's LRT only. And now Wynn comes along and says, now it's for transportation or transit. Sorry. Yep. And uh, you're going to, I don't live in, well, I guess I do live in Hamilton proper now, but um, you're going to shut down downtown Hamilton for five years. Seven, I think, is the actual number. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> Just not to make your life worse, yeah. But, yeah, exactly. But you're going to, well, be at seven, let's call it six then. Um, what are all the uh, proprietors of these businesses down there going to do while they're upset uh, we had the uh, the bus issue with bus lanes and this sort of thing. Obviously, that didn't pan out so well for them. And you know, how, like, how many studies do you have to go through before you, you you wake up? We had transit in the city of Hamilton thirty years ago. Chris, all I want to know is this, and and I know you can't answer this question, but based on this quote from Kathleen Wynne, if if the government has softened its position and is willing to give the city of Hamilton a billion dollars for transit in a way that it deems best across the board, should we not at least know that for sure before a solid vote is done on LRT? Absolutely. That's all I'm saying. And if it turns out that she misspoke... 
Sorry? And if it turns out that she misspoke and that she didn't understand the question, and in fact, it is a billion for LRT only, then you have the vote. But you don't want to vote on this, in my mind, and then have a big surprise after, and they say, oh, you could have used it for something else if you wanted to. Well, the hopefully incoming government has already said that. Patrick Brown has already said that he would give you a billion dollars to use for transit. Well, Chris, we got to go to a break, but we we All will right, see buddy. about that. Chris, thanks for the call. Uh, it's it's very to me. This quote from Kathleen Wynne has muddied the waters considerably, maybe for good, maybe for bad. But you can't you can't I don't think lock in and vote on something. If there's another possibility out there that all along you've been told is not a possibility. And I'm not looking to stall this thing anymore tomorrow. I want something either to happen or not to happen. But you, it seems as though another option has been thrown in, possibly. Somebody before this vote, I would like to believe. I don't think it's going to happen, but I would like to know for sure from her mouth because she was the one who said it and she's the premier. Is there another option? If there is, let's talk about it. If there isn't, let's vote on LRT and deal with it one way or another. I just don't know how this thing continues to get more and more and more confusing. Usually you whittle it down and it becomes more concise and more clear. This is getting worse, not better. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Andrew Dreschel wrote something in Monday's paper that is exactly what that was that was that I was just talking about. The headline was, the dark side of the LRT debate. Now, we're not going to talk about LRT. We talked about LRT. This is just a launching point. Because what I've found, what I believe, what I've experienced, what you have experienced, it's not me. It's not, it, I mean, Luke, has, Luke is on the other side of the glass today. He knows this. He's seen it. In this day and age, for whatever reason now, we don't have respectful debates, or at least not very often. We don't. We have shouting matches. We have beatdowns, verbal beatdowns. We have social media opportunities that if someone says something with which you disagree, you don't offer a compelling retort. You announce to the world through social media that that person is a giant idiot who doesn't know what they're talking about, who's got the IQ of a newt, and on and on and on. You basically, it's not about having a debate anymore. It's about the person who said something with which I disagree automatically must be wrong, evil, nefarious, malicious, have bad intentions because they can't possibly see what is right and therefore they must have something up their sleeve. They must be doing something to be injurious to someone else. Do you agree? Do you, do you hear this in your life? I'm telling you, I see it all the time. I see it all the time now. Social media, and Andrew points this out, social media is an absolute, for all the good things that it can do, it's an absolute quagmire of crap. If you post something on social media, if I post a column, if you post something, if you put something up there and someone disagrees with you, they are not going to say to you, hmm, interesting argument, but here's why I think I'm not agreeing with you. You, It will take about three posts, about three tweets or texts or whatever else for someone to call you some kind of name. If you write something that is a very strong opinion, even if you try to back it up, even if you offer, here's, this is what we did in debate. Did you have debate class? Did you ever do debates or, or that kind of thing back in high school? And you would learn that you go back and forth. Even if it's a well-constructed debate, you may disagree with it. You wanted to see how, you want to know how true this is. There is a, there is a theory out there and I can't remember the name of it. There is, a, there is actually a name for it. but And it's true though, is that within a certain number of postings on any story on a paper or on you know, like a newspaper website or something else, within a certain number of postings, someone will reference Adolf Hitler. I can't remember. Luke, can you see if you can find the name of that theory? There is an actual name for the theory that 
if someone makes a point, a point, if someone takes a position that requires a point of view or the other, the person on the other side within a certain period of time, and it's a very short period, will always, the, the Hitler reference will always come up. This person is like the Nazis. This person is like Hitler. It happens all the time. It is called Godwin's Law. Godwin's Law. And do you have the definition of Godwin's Law right there? Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to find the, the exact thing, but basically it's that uh, an, as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Hitler approaches. It always happens. But it's not just... And so what we've seen, and let's go to the LRT thing for a second. On both sides of the debate, both sides of the debate, I'm not picking one or the other, on both sides of the debate, we've reached the point where we're not debating anymore. We're not actually, well, most people, we're not actually discussing the pros or cons. What we're doing is simply shouting at everybody else and calling them names and saying how much of a jerk they are and how much of an idiot they are and how horrible they are and how they, if you're for the LRT, anybody who is against the LRT, let's break down what the thing is, that what, what are the points that they make. If you are against the LRT, to someone who is for it, you are a backwards-thinking, geriatric, city-destroying, future-crushing, hating the f- children of the future troglodyte who, can o- who only wants to be concerned with your own taxes and your own well-being, and you're not willing to look for the benefit of anyone other than yourself. Does that, any of that sound familiar? And if you, are, if you are someone who is for the LRT... The people who are against it look at you as a idiot, millennial, lazy, don't care about the businesses downtown, hate cars, want to destroy the city that has been built by generations before you for your own convenience and your own lifestyle, not worrying about how this will affect anyone else around the city. Sound familiar? This is exactly how things get positioned now. And I'm just using the LRT as the example because Andrew did. It was a great launching off point. But this is this has become our fallback position now. You get into a discussion with someone, you don't discuss and point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint, shake hands and walk away. You stand off on the sidelines while someone says something. And then when they're done, you anonymously snipe away on social media or in a response at the bottom of a newspaper or on a website or something else. And you talk about how much of a jerk that person is and how they don't care about anybody or anything. It's all about them. And then your minions follow up with either pressing thumbs up or thumbs down or following up with a column afterwards. It's all become angry. It's not making a point anymore. It's not arguing the pros or the cons. It's all about just winning. It's about crushing someone who disagrees with you. And I don't, I'm, I have been guilty of it at times. Listen, we all have. We've all gotten mad at someone for their point of view. We all have. But I don't think that's in any way healthy. And every time it happens, and, the, and thankfully I don't think it's too often, but the few times that I have gotten really angry with someone, not about this topic, about something else, I'm angry with myself more than anything at the end of it, because look, if we can't actually debate a topic, if we can't sit there and just have a polite conversation and listen to the other person, because that's the one thing in this whole thing that's missing. Nobody's listening to anybody. That, that, that has been eliminated from all this. No one wants to listen to anybody. They want to just say And if we can't listen to anybody anymore, and we're way past that in the LRT debate, everyone in their heels are dug in. If we can't listen to anybody, we're not getting anywhere. We're never going to get anywhere. I just, this discussion, pick your, pick your discussion, pick your discussion down in the States, Trump versus Clinton, uh, the abortion debate, the right to die debate, the, this, the, that, everything else, the marijuana debate. Pick whatever topic you want, and we don't discuss anymore. We yell. We argue, we yell, we put down, we insult, and if and then it comes back, and then you're upset because they've called you names. I think that an, an important part of, 
of how how this sort of thing happens. And I'll, I'll relate it specifically to the LRT debate, but really it goes for every debate that we, you've talked about, is that the loudest voices on both sides of a debate tend to be the ones that look the most like the stereotype. So what do you mean by that? For for the LRT, a good portion of the people that will call in to Bill Kelly, let's say, in the morning and are anti-LRT are people who call in and say, well, I live on the mountain or I live in Flamborough or I live in Stony Creek and this does nothing for me and therefore boo-hoo to the LRT. And then when you when you have the pro LRT people who call in, it's the, it's the same thing, but on the other side, right? They're just they are acting the stereotype, and I think that then it becomes very hard, no matter which side you're on, to see the other side as a bunch of people who are willing to have a reasonable debate when the voices of the of those sides are unreasonable, illogical, uh, yelling people. Let me throw one more thing back at you: why this happens. We have become, and we're almost out of time here. I wish I'd got to this part earlier. We have become a people who insulate ourselves more often than not in a bubble with like-minded people. You generally, I'm willing to bet you that other than at your office where you don't have control of this, but even then you probably have friends and cliques. In your social life, probably the people you hang out with are like-minded people. If you are a diehard left of Castro liberal, chances are you're not hanging out with fans of Rush Limbaugh. You are hanging out with people who share your views, your political beliefs, who may share whatever else. You're going to spend time with people who are like you. As a result, you're in an echo chamber. And your ideas get bounced around and bounced around and bounced around and reaffirmed in your head so that when someone then comes in and pricks that bubble and injects a different point of view, well, you have been, you've learned subconsciously that everybody who matters, anyone who's intelligent, because we all think of ourselves as intelligent, anyone who's got any sense of anything thinks the way I do. That person's an idiot. Look at them. They're, they're, they're a whack job and vice versa. And vice versa. It goes the other way as well. They live in their own bubble too. And when they branch out and hear someone else's point of view, they think you're an idiot. I'm, it's a long debate about how we actually got to this point. It's a long story. It involve, I mean, it involves all kinds of stuff. And you can, you can break it down. It's the internet and it's social media and it's the part, the, um, fracturing of TV and everything else. We don't have common meeting places anymore where you would have one or two or three people who everybody was in the same gathering place. I'm talking about Walter Cronkite or Peter Jennings or Peter Mansbridge. All this. Everyone's watching something different. We're watching the stuff we want to watch that feeds the beliefs we want to hold. And then we don't ever hear the other side. So when it's finally injected into us or put into our plate, we find it offensive and we don't know how to deal with it anymore. So we yell at someone. I applaud Andrew for the great piece. If you didn't read it, go online. It's still online at thespec.com. If nothing else for food for thought, the next time someone says something with which you strenuously disagree, is it possible for you to hear them, to discuss with them, to debate with them and to walk away as friends shaking hands or must you insult them as is our default position these days? You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In the rain and a little bit of wind and probably some not really nice conditions today, the Hamilton Tiger Cats launched their mini camp, their spring mini camp. And I'm reading about this, I'm following along with this, I'm following some tweets and everything else, and suddenly it dawns on me, why are we doing this? Why do the Ticats actually hold a minicamp? We're still more than two months away from the start of the CFL season. What do we gain? What does the team benefit by running a bunch of guys out there in shorts on a crappy day uh, to see how, well, I don't know what they can do. Um, So who better to ask than Rick Zamperin, who knows everything about football, especially of the CFL, especially of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He joins me now. Rick, thanks for doing this. Hey, Scott, how are you? Well, I'm, I'm, I think I have an answer, but you know what? I'm going to just abdicate that role and throw it to you because you are the guy who knows this way better. Why do they hold a minicamp? 
Well, I think they discovered a few years ago, and not only here in Hamilton, but other CFL uh, cities who, uh, who have jumped into this mini-camp fray, uh, that it's got a couple of benefits, and in, in on both sides of the coin, if you will. Number one, from a coaching and player personnel aspect, uh, you know, this is a three-day event here in Hamilton where uh, Kent Austin and his merry mates on the sidelines can look over, uh, you know, this crop of first-year CFL players, negotiation list players, free agents, uh, guys that they ha- have had attended their free agent camps and have brought to Hamilton for this uh, three days of uh, glorified practices, really. They can assess, um, you know, who has what it takes or who could potentially – uh, sometime down the road, have what it takes to make the CFL roster and make this Ticats team that much better. So that's probably the, the main goal of this mini camp is to assess where they are with some of their future talent. And that might mean, mean uh, CIS uh, rookies from, from the past year, guys who came in towards the end of last season. You know, Brian Timms is a, a good example who's at the mini camp who had a couple of games, and now this minicamp will give them a little bit better of an idea of what he's all about and how he can help this franchise. The, the second part of it is from the player standpoint. And, yes, Zach Alaros is there and Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, those are probably the two uh, well-most um, uh, or, or veteran guys on this uh, minicamp roster. But aside from that, it's, it's really a first- or second-year players. And for those players who have really no idea what the Canadian Football League is about. Uh, you know, you, you can pick a, a hand, more than a handful of names off this minicamp roster who have never even probably seen a CFL game, let alone try to play a CFL game. Uh, they're here to uh, experience uh, what uh, Hamilton's all about, what the league's all about, and really get accustomed to uh, the, the, this new game that they're about to play, that they're fighting uh, for, for, for a job for. So those are really the, the two big reasons from a coaching and player personnel to see you know, who's coming down the pipe and from a player standpoint who've never played this game to kind of get their feet wet. So when they, if they get an invitation to the main camp, they don't basically screw up all the drills by doing everything wrong because the rules aren't familiar to them. Well, I mean, when we call a when we call a play, we want you to at least understand the CFL rules so you can do it and not muck it all up. Exactly. I mean, anybody at this mini camp who doesn't understand the rules, they have no shot uh, at getting to the main camp, which comes at the end of May. So, I mean, this is uh, for for a lot of guys uh, their one shot. It's 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 uh, almost like a uh, really like a glorified kind of free agent camp. Uh, you know, you you. You participated in the free agent camp, uh, perhaps uh, down in Florida or in California. You've caught uh, you know, some of the eyes of uh, maybe it was Austin, maybe it was Eric Tillman. They said, you know what, this guy has some intangibles that we think can, can help our team. Then they come up to this mini camp, and if they are able to uh, relate their skill set, their talent on the field to what goes on in meeting rooms and film sessions and playbook talk, uh, then they, they can jump another hurdle and get closer to that main camp. You were around this team for a long time. When guys get signed and before they come to camp here, do they sit at home and basically learn the CFL game? I mean, is that what guys are doing? Are they watching video and watching playbooks and everything else to try to figure it out before they come? Or do guys actually show up here completely oblivious and have to learn everything when they arrive? I, you know what? I think, I think years ago that may have been the case. Uh, but in today's day and age, when you have uh, you know everything from you know CFL.ca to guys you may know who already play in the league to uh, you know even going on YouTube or, or anything on the internet, just type in you know CFL, uh, you can you can see basically the nuts and bolts of the game. In terms of playbook, I don't I don't think any of the players get um, at least any of the first year guys get a handle on the playbook or, or get any kind of uh, advanced playbook to say you know these are the plays are going to run here's the formations here's the protection scheme all that kind of stuff. I think they come in with you know general understanding of how the game works, but I, I you know every year there are uh, first year CFL players and mainly Americans who are used to NFL rules four down football NCAA rules who come up here and are just, their eyes are <laughs> wide open because you throw in so many different nuances of this game, the one yard off the ball, the wider field, the longer field, the three downs, the wide and hash marks, the waggle, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. I haven't even mentioned any special team stuff. Uh, you know, there, there are countless examples of years gone by, and I'm sure it'll happen this year too, where guys simply have no clue about how uh, a particular uh, portion of this game works. 
Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it would be very funny, actually, I think, to be in the huddle a couple times early on in training camp when a guy runs back after a play. And I'm sure there's been more than a few times when he goes, what just happened? Because, <laughs> because you're right. There is, and, and it also, Rick, it always surprises me that we don't actually have more Canadian players dominate at these things because they know the Canadian game. Physically, like the tools they have may not be, they may not have played football as long or had the coaching that the American guys have had, but they understand this. They should really stand out in these things, shouldn't they? Yeah, that's a good point. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you, you, you quickly realize you only have three downs. Uh, you quickly find out, uh, and, it, it could have, and it could come via penalty, that, you know, the play clock's only 20 seconds. It's not 40. So you have half the amount of time to get ready. I think guys um, who have played the game, um, whether it's up here or down or down south, um, you know, are able to quickly adapt to changing scenarios. And you give them a mini camp and, in many cases, a full training camp, which is, uh, you know, about two and a half weeks or so. Um, it, it, w- it won't take them that long to kind of figure out uh, at least the nuts and bolts. Then you get into some of the finer stuff of, you know, onside kicks and the rouge and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I guess it's a process uh, through osmosis that eventually they get a hold of of all the rules. The one meeting that I always thought would be great to be in at the beginning of the year with a CFL team is the first time the coaches sit the American guys down who are new and explain the, okay, if they miss the field goal, we're going to kick the ball back out of the end zone and it's still live scenario. That one... You know, when the play, and it happens, what, about once every three years that we actually get one of those plays? But that mm-hmm. explanation to me would always be br- I would love to hear that explained and the questions that follow that one. Well, and you know what? We even see that kind of uh, chatter or talk or giggling after, after a game that includes that play from a lot of the American guys and probably even some of the, uh, the Canadian guys who haven't seen it for a exactly. while. Exactly. Just, you know, so excited that, uh, from the Canadian guys, so excited that that actually occurred and from the American guys, kind of dumped down to say, I, I had no idea we could actually do that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that comes down to coaching, too. I mean, every CFL staff has, you know, in that particular case, a special teams coordinator, special teams assistants, and they go through, really, the nuances of, of what could happen in a particular yep. scenario in, in any given time. So, Anytime uh, that play is executed, that, to me, is all on coaching. That to me is all coaching. If you can have your guys pull that one off, because the longer that play goes on too, Rick, and I were way off off topic here, but the longer that play goes on, to me, the more completely chaotic it gets and no one has any idea what the rules are anymore. They're pushing the ball forward and kicking it out and run. I mean, it, it, it just breaks down into complete chaos. And if you can actually do that, full marks to the coaches. Yeah, but you hit it on the hill. It is, it is all about coaching because the coaching staff will put those players who know the rule in those positions. You know, you'll have you'll more, more than likely you have three Canadians back there in the end zone to get ready to get, get the ball and then kick it back out. Um, so, yeah, it does come, come down to coaching at the end of the day. The Ticats today, and this is one of the things that I think is pretty obvious uh, about the minicamp. The Ticats today apparently had seven Kickers. They don't have a kicker right now that is signed to this team. They had seven kickers, and it was a nice, typical Tim Hortons field, windy-ish day with not great weather. Uh, is that right now going into this season, is that the Ticats' biggest need to figure out who's going to kick the ball? Well, I, w- I would say so, just just looking at those numbers. I mean, they don't have, you know, seven quarterbacks. Uh, they don't have, uh, you know, seven guys vying for the center position. Uh, you know, to have a unique position uh, in the Canadian Football League, especially uh, having a kicker is absolutely crucial. So, you know, it, it, that that tells me a couple of things. Number one, obviously, they're they're undecided on, on who this guy is going to be. Number two, uh, they have an open mind on on, you know, this position can be won by virtually anyone to bring seven guys in. I mean, that's a lot of guys for one particular position. Um, you know, that, that's going to come down to coaching as well. And it's going to come down to, you know, those seven guys weeding each other out at the end of the day. And that's basically how it works. Uh, but th- there could be a scenario where, you know, you go through mini camp and, yeah, they make their kicks and they look okay. But the coaching staff says, you know what, I'm just not sold on all these seven guys. Let's bring in one or two guys, maybe delete one or two guys from this mini camp. So 
I, I think uh, I think it'll be during main camp where we might see another couple of faces where the coaching staff says, okay, now we're settled on who you know player you know, option one or option two is, and we'll go with these couple of guys in the first month of the season. Or there might be a guy who simply emerges right out of the gate to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be the kicker for this team. They're going to be that good. And all those questions will be answered. Drew Edwards from The Spectator is reporting that Andy Fantuz appears close to re-signing with the team. Now, we know he had that knee injury last year, which was severe. Is that a good idea? Is he, is, should the Ticats be re-signing Andy Fantuz? Well, I know at the end of last season, uh, or at least in the off season, uh, you know, we asked head coach uh, Kent Austin whether Andy Fantuz was in play for for Hamilton. Obviously, suffering that uh, that debilitating ACL injury, and he said uh, some of the effect of you know we're going to have to be creative. Obviously, he's going to miss the bulk of this 2017 campaign. It might even be after Labor Day by the time he comes back. So, you know, from that regard, it'll be a pro. I would assume it would be a prorated contract. You know, once he gets on the field, uh, and, and hopefully sooner rather than later, he'll be a, a good addition to this team. Why? Well, he's got um, uh, obviously a great cup ring, a proven winner, a guy who can put up the stats, uh, you know, big body, uh, great hands. You know, he's got all the intangibles. The only question mark is uh, how good is he going to be when he does come back? You know, this is a serious injury, and for uh, a player at his position who has to be mobile, obviously, you know, your knees are – or priority one, knees, ankles, legs. I mean, that, that's really what drives kind of the, the cart down the field. Um, so if he's healthy enough to do it, I think he will, he will still be one of the go-to guys on this team. There's no doubt about it. Let me change tack a little bit here um, from football to, uh, to something else. We're uh, about to launch tomorrow night into the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. There are four guys from this area, from this city or from this direct city area, who are still going. Darnell Nurse, Ryan Ellis, Kevin Bieksa, Cam Talbot, all still playing. Who's the best player out of those guys? Out of those four, who's the best player? Hmm. Wow. Darnell Nurse, Ryan Ellis, Kevin Bieksa, Cam Talbot. That's a, You know what? You can flip a coin, really. The only guy I will eliminate, at least at this point of his career, is Kevin Bieksa, even though I think he, he's still a pretty effective player. But simply from the age category, he's miles away from any of the other three. Uh, you know, Ryan Ellis has been in the league, you know, a few seasons now. I, I thought he had an outstanding campaign. He was actually on my fantasy team this year. And I was you know, quite pleased with that. <laughs> I'll make uh, sure next time we talk to him to thank him for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, Darnell Nurse, I think, is an up-and-coming guy who, you know, great skater, has good size. Uh, I think, uh, you know, has fitted nicely on that Edmonton Oilers defense. But, man, oh, man, the year that Cam Talbot had, uh, I think if if not – if not for Connor McDavid, I think Cam Talbot's probably the MVP of the Edmonton Oilers. I think he had that outstanding of the season, really an upstanding guy. Uh, obviously, your last line of defense uh, with any guy between the pipes, but he has just been rock solid. And, uh, you know, with all the ups and downs of the playoffs, you know, they, they lose 7 nothing one game, and I think they won the next game 3-2 in overtime. I mean, to have a goalie who can, you know, withstand that kind of roller coaster ride uh, and give you consistent performances, for the most part, night in and night out, I mean, how can you not go with a guy like Cam Talbot? It's always funny that in the playoffs, it seems that the best goalies, for whatever reason, always have at least one game where they get absolutely shelled. I remember the year that the Hamilton Bulldogs won the Calder Cup and Carey Price was playing here. He played every minute of every game except one, and he got bombed. He just got obliterated in this one game. They took him out after the first period, I think it was. And then he went back in and he was great again, and that's the same with Cam Talbot. What I can't figure out by this, Rick is why are why is Hamilton in the Hamilton area only producing defensemen and goalies? Where's our forwards? <laughs> That's very true. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the development a, process is in Hamilton that they're kind of missing the boat. But and and if you look at a lot of the great players even on their way up or also in the league, we are a city that has for whatever reason we keep pucks out of net rather than putting pucks in the net. I don't understand why that is. Um just a minute or so left here. Uh Blue Jays are playing against St. Louis tonight. Russell Martin yeah. Is playing third base. Are they complete are they out of their mind? What are they doing? I know I know Donaldson's hurt, but why Martin at third? They don't need his bat in the lineup. He's hitting about one ten. Yeah, this is what I don't understand. I, I know that Jared Saltalamaki is you know is catching and he's obviously an adequate catcher. Um but you know the, the everyone and their grandmother knows how great of a catcher Russell Martin is. I mean, how how many times are the last two plus seasons have we heard, you know, he's the best framing catcher in major league baseball? Well, if that's the case, why is he playing third base when, you know, your your team is, is hurting for wins? I know the pitching hasn't been the issue, 
Um, maybe it's John Gibbons saying, hey, you know what, we got to get his bat ignited. Uh, maybe a different perspective will give him a different outlook at the plate. Uh, I can only, uh, you know, guess as, as to why that's the reason. But, uh, yeah, apart from that, I mean, here's a guy who wanted to play shortstop in the World Baseball Classic. And when they said <laughs> no, he said, okay, I'm not going to play. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe he's going to sub in for Tulo at one point of the season. I'm not sure. Well, if you want him to have a day off, which makes sense. Okay, you know, you're catching all the time and you want Salta Lamakia in there. You give him a day off then. Right. But you're right. If, you, if you're... DH him. If you're the best catcher, you should be catching. Uh, and and maybe again, maybe maybe things have gotten so goofy and so depressing in the Blue Jays clubhouse right now that Gibbons is basically saying, "Who wants to try a different position just to do?" So? And Martin's <laughs> at all, put me a third just to try and shake it up and have some fun. Maybe it's all a big bunch of laughs in the clubhouse about this. Yeah. I don't know, but it. I, I saw this today and I was like, I, I just don't understand. I, I just I. And they're down one nothing, by the way, in the first inning. So, um, but no, I just I just didn't quite understand the thought process that you would put your guy there for the exact reason you just said they wouldn't let him play short in the World Baseball Classic because being in the field might lead to you being injured because it's an unfamiliar position. So, yeah, let's let's give you an even more unfamiliar position where at third a ball can land in your face at about a tenth of a second, and let's just make sure you live. Yeah, and, you know, this is a team that has been dealing with injury issues, obviously, with Josh Donaldson on the shelf yeah. and, and others. To uh, yeah, let's, yep. let's try. Yeah, let's try and get another guy hurt. So, <laughs> I, you know you know what? Is It'll really come and bite Gibbons in the behind if, you know, a, a, a game situation where the game is on the line and there's some kind of action that third and, and Russell goofs it up. I mean, all eyes are going to be on Gibby. There's no doubt about it. Or someone slides into third and... You know, yeah, there's an injury or something, or he twists his ankle on the bag. Who knows what? But yes, it's um, it's all fun and games until someone loses a catcher. Exactly. Rick Zamperin, <laughs> thanks for doing this, sir. All right, anytime. That is uh, Rick Zamperin of, well, you hear him on here on 900 CHML all the time, uh, knows more about the CFL and football and Canadian football and the Ticats than just about anyone else in this city. So always love having him on to chat about this. Hope that answers some of your questions about why. Well, first of all, I assume many of you didn't even know there was a mini camp. But then when you heard there was, I hope it answers some of the questions about why we have or why the Ticats and other teams have a mini camp. Because I look at it and I was like, well, what, you know, I, Okay, the more times we get together, I suppose, you learn some stuff. But still, it's, it's an oddity this far ahead of the season. Hope that answers some of your questions. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.